We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The biggest takeaways from Sunday of week 11. That is what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards for Gretsch. Find my Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at Rotoviz. Sean, we're getting pretty close. We're getting pretty close to the playoffs. It's kind of an exciting Sunday. We're going to zero in on a couple of early games that were pretty exciting. Uh, some huge performances from from some young guys that we like. Yeah, and this was the Jonathan Taylor week. And you always, if you have him on a lot of teams like you and I do, you're hoping to get this sort of in week, I guess it'll be 17 this year to have that five touchdown performance to, to bring home the half a million dollars. But if you're chasing just to get into the playoffs, and Ben, you and I have a couple of Taylor teams that are doing that, trying need to make up the stagger this week, then having these big points right now, I mean, this this is prime time for us as well. So uh, this game here, Colts, Bills, the Bills again have some issues. And, you know, so now we're sort of second time in three weeks for them. The Colts, you know, if they come through on a couple of their very close games early in the season would now be, I think, in the conversation as an AFC favorite. Uh, what did you see in this game? Yeah, I mean, Taylor <laughs> was was really exciting. Um, and and look, like one of the things I tweeted during the game was you, you, you get a five-touchdown game, you, you have some luck involved as well. He's been fantastic, obviously. He gets a really fortunate play right before half where Isaiah McKenzie's running out a kick return. Taylor had already scored twice at this point. He kind of tripped over himself, fumbled as he fell to the ground, hadn't been touched. So it was a fumble. The Colts pick it up and, and they return it, but they're not able to get it in. You know, the bills recover enough to tackle them at the two yard line. And it's like, that play is just such, it was such a slapstick routine, but just such a valuable play for Jonathan Taylor, because 
he gets all their touches there for them to be kicking off and, you know, the bills to have an unforced fumble and then for the Colts to recover it and return it to the two was just a, a sequence of events that very fortunate, you know, certainly something that you want to acknowledge is, is a sort of a luck thing or a variance thing, but then, Taylor also is incredibly good. I mean, that was one of his five touchdowns, but on the very next play, he did score there. But yeah, I mean, throughout the game, he was just fantastic. Well, I, you have a game like this, and and it does make me excited that we were so on him that we encouraged people to draft him. Uh, I got some you know good feedback, some pushback at the time when I released the article uh, a couple weeks or, or a month or so before the season started, talking about how the first round is all about Jonathan Taylor. And then it turned out that it, the second round <laughs> was about Jonathan Taylor as he slipped there uh, due to a variety of things that now don't look to be that important. Huh? So we see one of the things that almost gets covered up in this game is the receiving touchdown where he makes a great play on the ball, number one, then immediately beats a defender who should have had him wrapped up at the point that he caught. This is a, a target downfield, which you like to talk about as having some importance for the running backs. You know, when you think of Jonathan Taylor, one of the questions coming in for him as an NFL player is, can, can he be involved in the receiving game? I mean, he's not just involved, but he's involved on targets across the line of scrimmage. He makes the great catch. He beats the guy there. You know, he's whirling back and, and falls back into the end zone. Even after beating the first guy, this is a touchdown that very few NFL backs would have scored. And then you, you mentioned the good luck on the touchdowns. And we talk about these massive games either to make the playoffs or to win the half a million dollars. Uh, you need to have some of these massive touchdown games with the luck. But, I mean, the skill portion of it just continues to pop in every single way, right? He has the 48-yard run in this game where he shows off all the different skills he has. And number one, getting through the line. Then number two, being able to accelerate at the second level. Number three, being able to beat a defender uh, well down the field to add more yardage onto the carry. So uh, that play, very exciting. And then I have down here that his fourth touchdown I mean he completely overmatches a couple of Bills defenders beats a guy around the line of scrimmage beats a second guy as he's about at the two yard line and so we saw Taylor in just all possible ways again today and against a defense that was coming in as the best defense in football yeah but you know he, look he just did it, it, it. This is just the, the big 10. It's just a Wisconsin back. Can he really do this at the next level? You know, like <laughs> he went and did this to the bills. I mean, I think he wasn't really even on, um, I was talking to you a little bit before the show about some TFS stuff. He wasn't really even on like the DFS radar for a lot of people this week. This was a tough matchup. You're on the road. You're a dome team playing outdoors. Uh, obviously I was just making the joke that he was putting up numbers like this in college. And, and we've seen so many Wisconsin backs do it. But he's basically played over the last couple of months now like he did in the Big Ten, except he's doing it to, to NFL defenses. Very good ones. And he's the centerpiece of their D, excuse me, of their offense. Uh, I started seeing tweets about him being in the MVP conversation. I don't think we're going to see an, a, a running back win the, the MVP. If they went out and, and, and he sets all the records. I mean, he is their entire offense. When you were talking at the beginning of the of the show about uh, or at the beginning of this topic, I guess, about the, these points, and we wish we could get him in 17. I was thinking in my head, well, we'll take him now and we'll take him then because this is this is the Todd Gurley year. This is the, the year where the guy's unstoppable, and he, he's going to keep scoring. <laughs> like the, Jonathan Taylor is the guy that you want. Uh, and, 
and you also referenced that you wrote that piece. First of all, fantastic piece, standalone piece. Couldn't have been any clearer that you said Jonathan Taylor is basically the player that the not basically you said is the player the entire first round revolves around. And at the time, you were basically saying he needs to be a top five pick. He is, or I think he was going like six after that first tier of running backs. That was part of your argument. I know I read it then. I don't remember the exact argument, but it was basically like, do you take Taylor? Do you take receivers? And you made this really compelling case that Taylor was going to explode. Somehow, the fantasy football community forgets that Sean Siegel, who, when he has a take like this, is rarely wrong, uh, decided to write an entire piece about Jonathan Taylor and make it very clear that he thinks Jonathan Taylor is going to define the season. And he fell into the second round after that point because of the Carson Wentz injury, the Quentin Nelson injury, all of these things. And we wind up with just ridiculous ADP value. There was a point where he was going in the late second. People were getting him 20th and later in drafts. It's um, as you bring that up, I remember reading that. I hadn't thought about it as uh, eloquently as you as you wrote about it, certainly. But it was easy for me to grab onto right away the point you were making. And this is because of the years that we've played together, the things that we've talked about over the years. It goes right back to the first episodes we had when we started doing Stealing Bananas, which was that you fade things like team projections and all that, and you target talent. You target um, you know, the, the, this ability to be absolutely elite players. And, and I can't even remember how we did it in that first show, but I remember that we kind of started with a topic that you said was maybe we bit off a little bit more than we could chew. But, you know, I came in really excited about this first topic. So you were willing to go down that road with me. But we did those first three episodes and we focused very much on the things that people looked at against Taylor were, you know, Naheem Hines is there. He's going to take the passing downs. Um, you know, the Colts offense isn't going to be good enough. All of these, you know, various layers that weren't going to play out well enough for Taylor. And look like he, you know, he is a running back and a lot of this is situation based. He does have a good offensive line and all of those things, but it's just like, it's just such a clear example of what we preach all the time. And you wrote about it in the off season. It is something that I hope nobody missed. I had him in my top five in my rankings at the, uh, at my, Stealing Signal Substack. I had my rankings updated all August. I think he was in the top five the entire time. He's he had he had this ceiling all along. And it's it's something that if you don't want to miss it next time, essentially, this is what you're you're looking for. You're looking for this player that had the profile that stretches back to college. We have more than just the track record of what he did at the end of last year. We have the elite athletic profile, the elite production profile in college. So I talk about sometimes the long view. It's basically again something I kind of cribbed off you or stole from you is this idea that we still need to be really cognizant once they're playing in the NFL, that we're not just looking at the small sample we saw at the NFL. We're also aware of what they are as a player dating back to college, how long, and he was always this good. He was this good at the combine from an athletic perspective. He was this good late in his rookie season, obviously a a couple struggles early. And now, I mean, the, like the sky is the absolute limit, right? It does. Uh, It does seem to be. And then it's fun doing the show with you. I, I like the uh, the more than deserve credit on that. As, as <laughs> listeners know, I, I, I'm wrong about things all the time. So certainly just because I wrote it doesn't mean it's going to happen. But it's been fun to see this. And you mentioned the, the talent, the skill combination that Taylor brings. And we talk a lot about how those guys are going to carve out opportunity. 
right? So we're not as concerned about the opportunity for that type of player than for, say, a Mike Davis. Now, that's also apples and oranges because Davis not being drafted nearly as early. But we want to continue to keep all of those lessons in mind, even if, like, the difference in the price seems to indicate, well, you know, maybe you want to go a different direction from Taylor early. Maybe you want to target Davis later. I, I mean, again, the players are going to get their work based on how good they are. And that's something we're seeing here. It's also something where we always want to keep remembering how it just important it is to be targeting these ascending talents. And the other one that we talked a lot about in the preseason, again, we're, we're lucky that it's working out in the right direction, but we see today where in really what was a pretty humorous and absurd and, and you know, frankly, bad game between the Browns and the Lions, the Lions were repeatedly handing off on third and long in part because they may have started one of the weaker QB options that we've seen in the NFL in a long time. Well, we don't want to be hard on someone who's kind of thrust into a difficult situation here, but, you know, obviously overmatched. But also because they're like, on third and long, DeAndre Swift could still run for a 57-yard touchdown, which was sort of their one positive play in that game. So this is a situation now with the Lions where we're into this environment that everyone was worried about. Like when we drafted with Davis, you know, he, he obviously didn't want exposure to the Lions guys because it is an absolutely apocalyptic scenario. And yet still we see someone like Swift able to push through and make the plays. Again, the talent is really what we want to be drafting at all of these different spots. Now, on the flip side of that, we have somebody who we took in the first round quite a bit, really like one of your favorite players, one of my favorite players, uh, Stefan Diggs, two touchdowns today. But then if you were told that Diggs had two touchdowns, you probably would think that maybe he scored more points than he did. Yeah, it wasn't an ideal day for him. It wasn't an ideal day for the whole passing game. You know, Dawson Knox winds up kind of leading the passing game, 10 targets, six catches, 80 yards. He's the only guy who goes over 30 yards. A lot of that was like shorter passes. He had a decent day, though. And I mean, we, we've been impressed with him as a tight end when he's been healthy. Certainly a guy that uh, if you've held on to or you you know are in a shallower league where he was cut and picked him up, very much worth being in lineups in this passing game. But outside him, I mean, the other big player in this offense was Matt Breida, who got more carries in both Singletary and Moss. We talked about this last week that it felt like even though Breida only played eight snaps and only got six touches, what he did last week was going to lead to him being a part of this backfield. You know, hopefully you weren't playing or forced to play Singletary or Moss or any of those guys. That was not great to see for those teams where we have those players but yeah the passing game really really struggled all throughout and yeah i mean i don't really have a great answer for that or a reason why i mean we we've seen certainly buffalo struggle against some of the two deep shells and and be up and down at times as a passing attack but even then they've been able to get it to like Cole beasley or whoever you know it ended up being the knox game but you know allen only has 209 pass uh passing yards on, on 35 attempts and they really weren't able to do anything offensively until they got a you know garbage time TD late, which was Diggs. I mean, lucky for us, Diggs is still on the field and running these routes and catches a fourth quarter touchdown. The earlier TD was a nice you know quick out route, beats his man and, and gets his feet in bounds on the sideline. But yeah, four catches, twenty three yards, not not what you're hoping for. At least we did get the TDs. Yeah, and you mentioned how impressive that first touchdown was. The second one, I think equally so. It looked like Allen was going to run, and that worried me. And then he breaks it off at the last second, throws that ball in the back of the end zone to Diggs, who continued to uh, run his route and gets both feet down in the rain there. 
different wide receivers probably don't make either of those catches. They were very difficult ones. One at the sideline, one at the back part of the goal line. He drags the feet. He makes the plays. You know, it, it's been kind of one of these situations where in a lot of his bigger yardage games over the past couple of years, he has not scored a lot of touchdowns, you know, with the exception of the sort of epic week 17 or week 16, I should say, game last season. But fortunately, on some of these lower yardage games, he has gotten in the end zone, has balanced out that a little bit. And even on a terrible season, you're seeing someone like Diggs still score fine. You mentioned the running backs. We've been kind of fighting in a variety of leagues in Dynasty this past week to, you know, make some trades and get a lot of trade offers from people who are trying to win now where they want you to give them the best players and take the time delay. And, you know, that's tricky. Human nature, right? You're you're fighting for the best trades you can get. It is kind of funny going back and forth on some of these. Uh, When you're offered like the, the weaker end of the trade for the fifth or sixth consecutive time, the thing that I've found really kind of emphasizes where you are on the trade is to offer Devin Singletary back to them. And then that tends to uh, finish off that conversation. Shut things down. (laughs) (laughs) It does. It does. So then we come back, we have Cam Newton trying to turn around the Panthers fortunes and see if uh, DJ Moore can get involved there. And then we have Kirk Cousins in an epic battle with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, trying to sort of overcome the the evil empire there. We'll be back in a second. NFL football is back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find NFL tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. One of my bucket list items is certainly to head on over and see my Green Bay Packers over in Green Bay at Lambeau Field. I'm super excited to see how this season plays out. For the Packers, whether it's the Packers or any other team that you want to head and get in on the action this season and attend a game, whether it's a home game for your favorite team or it's on the road, TickPick has you covered. Visit TickPick.com slash RotoViz to save 10% on your first order. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season, don't wait. Head on over, get those tickets. That is TickPick.com slash RotoViz. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, Cam Newton specifically as it relates to DJ Moore may not be the number one storyline for a lot of folks, but then you and I wanted to see how he would look in this game. Uh, this was an interesting one. Tyler Heineke just continue to be incredibly impressed by him when so many quarterbacks have gotten these fourth down situations, maybe fourth down pivotal moment in the game. The play doesn't work. They're scrambling. They get turned around. They don't have their feet set. We see guys throw the ball away, right, on a fourth down play where, I mean, there's no disincentive to throwing an interception 30 yards down the field. You know how the NFL defenses work. Those guys want to catch those interceptions. They may still do that, even though knocking the ball down would be better. But also, if you throw the ball anywhere on the field, the guy has a chance to make a play. He makes sort of a miracle fourth down conversion when it seemed like all was lost late in their field goal drive to uh, kick that. They end up winning when the Panthers cannot score on their final couple of chances. What were the main things in this game uh, that jumped out to you? We also had very impressive first half by Terry McLaurin. Yeah, I mean, an exciting game. Um, you know, we see McCaffrey continue to be very involved in the passing game. People were concerned about that. Uh, he got his TD running a route up the seam. We saw similar in his first game back a few weeks ago where he was wide open and Darnold missed him running a similar sort of seam route out of the backfield. Uh, another example of those RB air yards that we're talking that, that you were talking about a, a few moments ago. So, yeah, I mean, that's good to see with McCaffrey that, you know, obviously we already know he's getting out of the backfield running some underneath routes, but he can actually get a pass 15, 20 yards down the field. That's that can be pretty huge for his efficiency as a receiver. Um, such a talented receiver too. I mean, just I thought that look, was going to be, yeah, sorry. I thought that was going to be your number one takeaway with just those those running back air yards on that. That's a beautiful play. Oh, yeah. I mean, of course. More, I mean, still the clear number one, right? Like Robbie got six targets too. Moore got seven. No one else other than McCaffrey gets more than three. We, we still have this sort of concentrated passing game. They only throw 27 times. They only ran 21 times. They didn't have run a whole lot of plays. It wasn't – I mean, it was a, it was a good – game i think newton has the rushing td that's not necessarily ideal for mccaffrey that's the concern but you know we saw mccaffrey score another way he does have the passing td to more which was great to see you know it was sort of the fake rush and he throws over the top it was early in the game and anyone who was watching football at all on sunday probably saw that highlight several times because it was definitely uh the you know the one of the main highlights that was popping into every other game yeah i mean i'm still look we said last week it couldn't be worse for more. And I think that was what the example was here. It still wasn't great, right? There wasn't a whole lot of pass volume. There was the Newton rush TD at the goal line. We're probably going to see a lot more of that. Uh, at the same time, Moore continues to be the clear number one. He was getting targeted early. He gets that early TD. Uh, he's running sort of those types of routes. You know, that was an example of like a, you know, an RPO run pass option. Newton probably could have ran that. He also had more running 
the the slant over uh, over the middle behind the line of scrimmage where he can pull up and throw, and the throw was there, so he took it. You want the guy who's running that route, right? And so that was um, good to see. I I'm still optimistic about more. We just you know we're waiting, I guess, to to, to see it. In the offseason, I talked about that concept of situation regression and how last year his situation was so bad. You know, we talk about efficiency regression or statistical regression. And I was just saying this abstract concept of his situation last year is fit with Bridgewater, all that it had to get better. Like it was like a 10, 10th percentile situation. He's good at all these depths. We talked about this concept all offseason. And we saw that in the first month plus for more. And he was great. But over the last month, we've basically been back in the same same argument where I have felt like his situation couldn't be any worse. He's a number one wide receiver. He's getting number one volume. His targets per out run, his weighted targets per out run are still strong. His whopper is still strong. His team percentage of air yards and targets. He's playing like a legit number one, just in a game in an offense that doesn't have a passing game. And so it felt like, you know, Newton taking over, there had to be some type of positive situation aggression, uh, you know, in season. And we saw some of that, but it still wasn't, you know, above average in terms of a, a passing environment. Hopefully we do see some games where Newton is, you know, throwing 35 times and more can get to 10 targets and all those types of things. Yeah. For me, it, it was, I was impressed because I thought Newton looked not too far off of his peak self, which, you know, that's good and bad, right? Cause he's never been a great passer, never been somebody who's going to really elevate a receiver, but probably not someone who's going to destroy a receiver like we've seen from a, really a wide number of QBs who've been either starters or forced into action this season. So that part is encouraging. And you don't know how limited they may have been in terms of being able to use the, the playbook today, since Newton obviously is somewhat early on in his time with the Panthers, with, you know, with this organization and, you know, doesn't necessarily have the reputation as someone who is going to learn the whole offense real maybe ever, but learn the whole offense quickly. But what you see is the things that he can do as a quarterback. If you have the play caller, call those plays and have everybody on the same page with that, the offense will operate fairly well. And I think that he's not going to limit McCaffrey, not going to limit more, probably not elevate either of those guys either, especially if, you know, you do have that rushing touchdown sneak in there on the other side, just, you know, Washington continues to battle and it was encouraging to see there. I mean, this was a game that the, the Panthers saying that they've made the move to Newton because they feel like they're a playoff team, maybe even a dark horse Super Bowl team. I mean, this is a game you have to win, right? And, and Washington didn't let them do that. McLaurin looked fantastic early, had almost 70 yards in the first quarter. He makes a great adjustment on a deep ball that Heineke throws one of these deep arcing types of targets. He catches a TD later in the game through a defensive clothesline. It was too bad. He had another deep shot in the second half where he's not able to make the adjustment and completely catch the ball. He has another play where he's open in the end zone. And really the one bad play that Heineke had in this game where instead of planting his feet, he kind of just throws off his back foot, throws it out there. That was a pretty easy touchdown. A two-touchdown game from McLaurin would have been very exciting for uh, folks who have him rostered. The other element of this in terms of Washington stars, you had Antonio Gibson fumble when they looked like they were going to go in and maybe tie the game at seven. And then, I mean, his injury status is such that you don't necessarily know exactly what's going on, but it did look like he was benched for a pretty decent stretch of this game uh, for whatever reason to help him remember, I guess, to, to not fumble. Uh, McKissick and Patterson you know, not looking like anything special uh, 
while he was out, he does go in. He plays a decent chunk in the second half. The running game isn't there, but Washington's able to overcome that. Yeah, absolutely. The other game we wanted to talk about was that uh, Vikings-Packers game, which was really interesting. Got A.J. Dillon uh, in a little bit more of a workhorse role, which is nice to see. Caught all six of his targets because he's an elite pass catcher, one of the absolute best pass-catching running backs in the entire NFL. He made some twisting, twerking catches there on the sidelines. He did. He's had a few that have been thrown low, and he's got, you know, got, he gets those, he gets the quads. He's done his squats. He can get down and catch them. He had the one that was high today that was nice to see. The, the, the low ones were, you know, earlier in the year. But he is pretty, pretty darn good at getting to the ball for a guy who's supposedly not a good pass catcher. But yeah, no, Justin Jefferson was a story for me because I've been saying that you know, the explosion was coming. He's just had so many near misses and it felt like this was going to be another near miss game early in the game. He has the long catch. He's reaching for the goal line. He gets down to the one again. It got reviewed. They, they called him short. It's kind of like that touchdown in week one or week two or whatever it was that I always say, I don't remember if it was week one or week two. He actually got in on that one. He did not on this one. And then Dalvin cook runs it in the next play. The next, their next time down there, Jefferson's basically triple teamed in close. Adam Thielen gets one-on-one coverage and scores a TD. And you're like, it's what? Why does this always have to happen to Justin Jefferson? You can't stop Adam Thielen in the red zone, then. So I mean, what's that? The per- you can't stop Adam Thielen in the you red can't. zone. Though. That's, that's the perfect play, right? But then later, they ran Jefferson out of the backfield for a little option route, a Christian McCaffrey route, if you will, catches a TD, and then he hits for a long TD as well, uh, and does get in, doesn't get tackled at the one. He goes 8-169, two touchdowns. Could have been three. Very a yard away from being three. Just a monster game from him. He's been scratching at the surface on that. Uh, I mean, he had a, a really big game last week as well. But I don't think he's been talked about like a top three receiver most of this year. I think he's played like one all season. Yeah, I, I was refreshing the Dynasty rankings uh, Friday coming into this weekend. And... I mean, Jefferson is in that sort of 105, 106, 107 range, right? In Superflex, you have the four big quarterbacks, and then you have Chase and Jonathan Taylor and Jefferson and CeeDee Lamb. And Jefferson, you know, makes his case today as the number one wide receiver. I mean, I think that in a Superflex format, you could take him 105, overall i mean he is that good and you know you covered it they they used him in a variety of ways today that was very exciting to see he can make all of the catches he was reaching for the goal line slash celebrating too early on the first one so (laughs) one of those two things but then the final touchdown again another one of those you know goes up the the defenders can't they just can't deal with them at all on contested catch situations. He's up above those guys, has super strong hands, pulls those down, and then fights through the contact, fights through the tackle, gets into the end zone there. And, you know, we, we see again today, Kirk Cousins gets very lucky, tried to lose the game. The arm strength was, again, the or the lack thereof, very much in evidence on sort of a, a throw-up interception where the defender lost the ball coming to the ground uh, in the sort of two minutes left in the game type of time period. They don't get that. As a result, Minnesota is able to go down and get into field goal range, then kneel out the clock, kick the field goal to win. And this was an interesting one. This is one where, you know, the Packers have 
a chance today with some of the other things that are going on, some of the other situations that were going to happen later to kind of put their imprint on the NFC. And this is a big blown opportunity here. Now, Aaron Rodgers played pretty well. It was really the Packers defense that has been such a strong point over this last month when they had all the different COVID issues. The defense has carried them. Today, Justin Jefferson was just too good. You put Jeff Justin Jefferson with Thielen and with Dalvin Cook, one of the best running backs in the NFL. I mean, that Vikings team should score so many points every week. But the other big kind of storyline today, Marquette, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, I mean, he was being heavily targeted early on. The thing that really jumped out to you was that early in this game, it was A.J. Dillon and MVS who were the guys that Rodgers was trying to feature. They missed on a bunch of connections early, but then MVS gets the long touchdown. A big surprise to see him get the big touchdown and Devontae Adams do Devontae Adams types of things. Uh, the first time he fights through and there's a double team, but Aaron Rodgers keeps the play alive. Adams keeps working, eventually gets open for the touchdown. The second touchdown of broken coverage where they decide not to cover Adams. Don't guard Devontae Adams. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, I mean, that's probably not going to work for you, but you see these three big touchdowns and you see the Packers move the ball. It's a shock that they lose this one. It was, yeah. I mean, their passing game looked really good, frankly, from a from a box score perspective. That's what they want to see. They want to see Adams, you know, catching seven balls and scoring twice and going over 100 yards. They want to see Marcus Valdez-Scantling having a 75-yard touchdown on the ledger. Rodgers throws 385, four touchdowns, no picks. You know, his passer rating or any of those types of stats off the charts. But, yeah, they did not get it done. How fun is it that uh, that the sort of debate that sprung up when Justin Jefferson had such a good rookie year last year about Jefferson and Chase and how they played together at LSU and how good – I mean, we, we kind of got our answer as to why the LSU offense was so good in 2019. I do – it makes me wonder a little bit about Joe Burrow. I mean, not like Joe Burrow is not good either. It, the answer could just be that they're all very, very good. But, I mean, he had – the answer to the question of Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson is that they're the two best receivers, young receivers in the NFL. And it is kind of interesting to think that he had those two dudes in college. You can kind of understand why he put up the greatest quarterback season of all time. It's it's just crazy. And yeah, I mean, you can understand why he did that because I mean, to ask college defenses to deal with those guys, it, uh, the flip side of that for a Chiefs fan is that, Every week, I mean, every week when you're watching Jonathan Taylor, you're thinking of of what might have been. And to the point where, you know, it, we have all these conversations with the people in the fantasy community about what's right with this team, what's wrong with this team, what this, should this team do better? And then you go and you have your conversations with, you know, family members who are maybe watching these games more recreationally and, you know, they want to know what's wrong and, and they're interested in, you know, this player and that player. And, you know, so from time to time, <laughs> I'll get my dad because, you know, nobody else wants to listen to these things over and over again, but I'll take him aside and be like, you know, the Chiefs, they, they drafted Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and I want you to understand, like, who he was playing with in college, and I'll show him some Chase highlights, and I'll show him some Jefferson highlights, and like, I don't think Clyde Edwards-Alaire was responsible for anything that he did during that <laughs> season he should not have been drafted in the first several rounds now you know we can still hope. so many defenders to trying to stop these receivers that's why he caught 55 passes or whatever it was because the outlet was literally always going to be open they, they had no reason to cover the outlet yeah so you win some you lose some there we're, we're obviously still rooting for him to to come through get 
get his career on track. But yeah, we had a big week worth of, again, just very interesting results, very important results. You have the Ravens fighting through in the crazy game with the Bears. We have the Texans pulling the big upset. You've got the Eagles rolling. Then we have another show this week. We have Thanksgiving. And for any listeners who you know aren't aren't able to catch one of the later shows, we definitely want you to want, want you to know that we are wishing you a, a very happy Thanksgiving. We've had such a great time with all of you guys over the last several months. We're very grateful for that. Then being able to do this show with you is one of the things I'm most thankful for in 2021. Uh, we're kind of wrapping it up here today and, and we have so much to cover later in the week, but do you have anything to, to leave the listeners with today? Yeah. I mean, in terms of being thankful, the, the feeling feelings mutual there, but yeah, mostly just thankful for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I'm thankful for Deandre Swift. I'm thankful not, not just running backs. I'm thankful for Justin Jefferson. Um, who else are we thankful for? Debo Samuel, certainly Jamar chase, very thankful for him. Yeah, you know, I think uh, it's a good good time to give thanks and, and reflect on all the, the gifts that we were graced with this year. Yeah, and I, it, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun doing it with you. It's been a lot of fun watching the guys. It's been a lot of fun doing everything with the Rotoviz community. I know that you have you know, such a great community there with Stealing Signals. You know, it's the time of year to give thanks, and I just feel very blessed. And it's great that we have this opportunity this week to really focus on it. It's such a good thing to keep in mind all the time. You know, I find it interesting as the research continues to pour in that gratefulness is one of the main sort of attributes or behaviors that makes people happy. And so remembering these things that we get to do and, and knowing that not everybody does get to do them is, is just a big part of life. So yeah, well, thank you so much for that. And Thank everybody for that. And we'll we'll let you go tonight, but we'll be back. We're not 100% sure of our schedule this week. Maybe one, maybe two, uh, maybe available Wednesday morning, or it might be a little bit delayed this week, but we'll be back with you. And until then, uh, I'm Sean Siegel. And with me as always is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you sign up for Ceiling Signals. There's never a bad time to do that. The content is so good. And Ben's writing style is such a joy to read. Uh, if you can, if you're interested, you can get a 10% discount to Rotoviz by using the coupon code RBRadio2021 at checkout. We'd love to have you as part of our community. And if you can, leave us a rating and review. We appreciate everybody who's done that. The outpouring of those has just been kind of beyond my wildest dreams. And then also sign up for our feed. You'll get these shows when they release, and especially on a week like this where uh, it could be a little all over the place in terms of the exact release times. You'll make sure you don't miss it if you're signed up there. Uh, until we see you later in the week, have a, a great Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.